Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And the Green Bay Packers did something to the Dallas Cowboys that teams have been doing to them repeatedly over the last several years, and that's win walking off on the final play of the game in a fascinating and exciting 34-31 game that's going to go down as one of the most legendary games of all time. And there's a lot that went into that 34-31 to game, and we'll talk about all of it, and we'll share some of the comments you've all had on Facebook. Um, Matt, I have to confess right now, and I'm sure this is not a surprise to you and uh, maybe some of the listeners that don't see us on Twitter, but... Once it was, I think once Aaron Rodgers threw the interception and it was 28-13 and you saw Dallas get some momentum, I thought for sure this was going to be chapter four of this playoff disappointment book that the Packers have been writing the last few years. And uh, I was honestly a little shocked that they ended up winning. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's anybody who said they didn't doubt it for a minute is lying. Obviously, when we've been conditioned to to know what's going to happen over the last, you know, decade or what have you, um, I mean, you you just assume that that's going to happen. You're up 18, you're, and I stupidly let myself feel good when you're up 18, even though I should have <laughs> known better. But I just I felt like their defense couldn't stop you enough. But, of course, they come back, they tie the game. Um, and especially at that point, I'm starting to be like, well, yeah, you We've got to be screwed here. There's no way we pull this one off. Um, and maybe the only thing that made you feel better is you knew how bad their defense was and how well Rodgers was playing. But still, I mean, you just assumed they were going to lose at that point. So for them to finally add one of these legendary games to the NFL you know, films library that we can maybe watch on occasion that they'll replay is not us losing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's nice to have that for once. And, um yeah, we'll we'll talk about all that stuff, but uh, not to be lost on this, and what I thought yesterday as I was sitting and reflecting on this game is the Packers finally won a playoff game in Dallas against the Cowboys, and it's the first time they've done that since 1966 in the famous uh, Dave Robinson uh, game where he forces Meredith to throw an interception to Tom Brown, and this is a long way from those 1990s teams that were just destroying us and I don't know why, maybe it's because a lot of those guys are now in the media, so it kind of takes off some of their villainous uh, reputation because you get to see them outside of that context as the team that just beats you all the time. But I don't necessarily hate the Cowboys as much as a lot of the Packer fans seem to, but I couldn't help but remember uh, yesterday after how happy I felt at the end of the game and thinking about the 1995 NFC Championship game where after the game I sat on my grandpa's lap and cried for an hour. (laughs) And (laughs) just the contrast to this about... Uh, how incredible it is that uh, we were able to win in Dallas in such a uh, dramatic fashion. Yeah, on the first part, I agree. I mean, that that Cowboys team back then, that was like my least favorite team of all time. But now looking back on it, you always look back on some of those good teams and reflect more positively, I think. But like as soon as the game started... I just instantly flash back to those games where you're on the road, like the uniforms were on, and there's just something about, I don't know, it's like they have the same lighting in this stadium as they did in Texas Stadium, yeah. where it's just like, for some reason, the, the greens and the yellows on our jerseys seem more vivid, and they have their <laughs> white jerseys on, and it's just like, oh my god, like I didn't even think about that before the game, and all of a sudden I was back in 95, um, <laughs> and just assuming we're going to get blown out by 40 as soon as the, the kickoff happened, 
But, uh, yeah, to kind of turn that around, obviously the teams have nothing to do with one, one or another, but that was a big part of our childhood was getting pounded by the Cowboys in the playoffs every single year. So it's at least nice to get that now. Yeah, and amazingly, that game was the last time that the Cowboys have been in the NFC Championship game. And uh, since that day, the Packers have been to the NFC Championship game, what, five other times? Uh, so, yeah, two, no, six other times. Three more with Favre and three more now with Rodgers. And... Gosh, maybe that's what my grandpa should have told me to make me feel better in 1995, that these guys are finished, and uh, the Packers are just going to go to a whole bunch more NFC yeah. Championship games from now on. <laughs> um, okay, so which player are you going to remember from this game? There's been some debate about that. Um, so what is the play that you're going to remember for the rest of your life first when you think of this game? Um, I think it's the Cook play for me, just because, I mean, Mason hitting a 50-yard field goal, all those those were super clutch field goals and just an incredible moment. I mean, the, that Cook pass was, I mean, that's like a 4th and 26 moment, basically, where you're out of it at that point. You're just hoping to, to have a very little time left for them to get the ball back so you don't lose it in regulation still. And the play was breaking down, and to hit a laser throw like that and that sideline catch, amazing catch. Mm-hmm. I think, for me, that's the one play that stands out in this one is the, the legendary play that they replay over and over again in commercials for years. Yeah, that'll probably end up being it for me. I guess for me, it's the the Mason Crosby second field goal. And the first one, I'm already kind of forgetting how big of a kick. I mean, 56 yards is incredible. And he drilled that one like textbook. But just how the ball flew, and you had him hit the first one perfectly. They iced him, and then he comes back with the second one, and Dallas gets pressure off the edge. He kind of doesn't kick it quite as far to the right to maybe correct for that pressure, and it started to look like it was going to drift left, and I could feel myself like, oh my gosh. And then something came over me, you know, these things happen in slow motion when you're watching them, that, no, this is Mason Crosby. He kicks some weird knuckleballers, and then it slowly starts to curve back inside and goes through, and that relief of this, oh my gosh, at least for this week, we're not going to have another collapse that's going to define a generation for a group of fans that are not Packer fans and, you know, be it another epic collapse, blow a 21 to three lead on the road and a 28 to 13 lead with what, 10 minutes to play would have been, I'm sure records of some kind. And just to think for a second that, oh my gosh, here we go again to no, actually this time the book is written in our favor and it just was awesome. And, uh, both plays are spectacular, and we, you know, being big fans, have a capacity, thankfully, to remember more than one. But I think uh, just that kick is what I'm going to remember. Um, yeah, and for it yeah. to just be over at that point didn't seem realistic to me. It's, it's, it almost didn't seem real that it didn't have to go to overtime. Like even if they were going to win, it didn't seem like it would happen on back-to-back 50-plus yard kicks because that just doesn't happen. And for the Cowboys to have hit one in between there too, yeah. just such a strange ending to that game for him to to get in a position twice at the end to hit the game winners was really bizarre. So, and then on top of that with the kick, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I felt the same thing. Like you, for whatever reason, I had enough time to see it go, damn it, it's going wide. And wait a minute, like his, his sometimes will hook, give a second here. <laughs> and then it starts hooking. It's like, how does, it's weird how you kind of go into slow motion mode on those. And then to see that knuckleball going out and duck back inside and be perfect. It was just amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And now Mason Crosby has 23 consecutive kicks in the playoffs and there was a time and maybe I still believe it somewhat that this guy isn't the most clutch guy in the world and as great as he has been he's still all of his game-winning field goals have 
come in tie situations. Um, he's missed. He, he hasn't had one where he was down in a while. I think probably not since Indianapolis in 2012 when he wasn't making kicks any time of the game. But to to he is a great testament to what this program has been about over the years, and that is stability and. I trust you to work out. You've shown in the past, so you're having a terrible season, a historically bad season for a kicker in this era. And uh, McCarthy and Thompson say, you know what? We're, we're going to stick with you, and we're going to figure out if you haven't. And if you don't, like Mastay proved, they'll get rid of you. But if you do, and you relish that opportunity, um, they'll stick with you, and they'll stick with you all the way till the end. And I think uh, it was a really nice moment for Mason to finally get that, and now nationally starting to get some rec- rec- recognition excuse me, for how good he's been over the years. Yeah, I love it now. Today, all of a sudden, he's the best kicker in the NFL just because he hits those two kicks. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it, it's crazy when because we were doing the podcast back then too, and we we wanted him out of here. Yeah. Because you felt like even though you were going to hang with him and maybe you get a good kicker in the future, you felt like you were almost throwing away a year potentially if you get into a game-winning situation. He had to kick it because he was just mm-hmm. terrible that year. Yeah. So for him to snap out of it and be this, he's been amazing the last couple of years. And obviously what he did yesterday just puts the exclamation point on it. And there's a pretty good chance that we're going to need something similar next week again here too. So hopefully he keeps it up. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go back to that Rodgers to Cook throw. And amazing play anyways. Um, Amazing footwork by Jared Cook to actually stay in bounds. And now they're coming out today saying that this might have been a play that Aaron Rodgers just drew up in the dirt to use an expression because either there was a communication problem with McCarthy or or something to where the communication between the sideline and Aaron wasn't very good. And so he kind of just drew up this play to try to feature someone on the left side so he could roll out and away from pressure and everybody else clear out. And uh, Jared Cook just said, I was looking for space and I found a spot and I figured he could get it to me and he threw me the absolute perfect pass. And, I mean, Rodgers is on a whole nother level right now. Trent Dilfer said today that this eight-game stretch has been the best any quarterback has ever played in his lifetime. And it seems so strong to say that, and I feel like you'd be labeled a homer for saying that as a Packer fan, but I can't think of one that compares right now. Yeah, I, I can't either. And for I mean, there's been eight-game stretches for teams that have played great, but for a quarterback to have to carry everything and just be so accurate and just do basically all these amazing plays himself and um, and to continually make plays like that to the Jared Cook one where nobody makes that play and he's doing it over and over and over again. I can't think of one either. There's very few quarterbacks that could even do this, which I think is why there's only maybe a couple of guys that we've ever seen that could potentially even do this. And to string together a bunch of games like that is just it's unthinkable, really. So, yeah, um, I can't think of any. You could maybe go back and look at stats and find one, but I sure, off the top of my hand, head, can't think of one. Well, and you mentioned that uh, this is—he's doing things that a lot of guys couldn't do. Tom Brady today, when asked, said that a lot of the throws that Aaron makes that he couldn't make. Um, so this is Tom Brady saying that, and and we all know this, but that's something else to hear them say it. Um, but here's kind of the point I wanted to get to before I veered off into how great Rodgers was playing is. I read on the Monday Morning Quarterback by Peter King that Aaron Rod- this was Aaron Rodgers' best throw of his career. And Rodgers said it wasn't that he's had some that were better, and Peter King did not agree. Um, he didn't cite any other examples or anything. But to me, the two greatest throws of Aaron Rodgers' career that really define him for me, both came in Dallas. And one was yesterday, Jared Cook. So there's two different things. Is the best throw of Aaron Rodgers' career... 
either Rodgers to Cook in a play that he potentially drew up himself in the huddle, or Rodgers to Greg Jennings on third and ten to keep the momentum in the Super Bowl uh, using a play that the Pittsburgh Steelers had specifically spent all week trying to stop, and he completes it anyways. Was that a touchdown pass, that one? That was, well, there was a similar one in the first half, the touchdown pass to Greg Jennings. This was the third and ten when the Packers were up, I believe, 28-25, and Pittsburgh had all the momentum, and he threw like a 30-yard pass to Jennings over the middle that got him uh, into Pittsburgh territory. You wouldn't, you would know it if you saw it. If, if you don't, yeah. Remember. Well, and I, I'm thinking of some, a couple of the touchdowns of that game, like that one to Jennings, where he just split the two defenders too. There were some yeah. pretty darn good ones in the Super Bowl. It was basically um, the same play. It just was in the fourth yeah. quarter. Man, that's tough. He's had so many good ones, but I mean, obviously, to to go across your body, rolling out along the sidelines to win an NFC, you know, divisional round game and get yourself in, on a third and twenty, nonetheless. I mean, all of those things put together. I mean, he's had big throws, you know, to win divisions and things, but they weren't necessarily like the squeezing the ball into a space like that type thing. So yeah. it's as good as I can remember. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, he's had big throws. Like he's got Randall Cobb to win the division in 2013. But there's a lot of quarterbacks who could throw it to a guy on a busted coverage. Right. Uh, there's not a lot of guys who could. And, and he escaped tremendous pressure, which might be the most impressive part of that play is that he escaped Julius Peppers, uh, interestingly enough, and was able to keep his poise and not throw it out of Soldier Field when he saw Randall Cobb that open. But uh, yeah, I think I'm going to take the weasel way out and say I can't choose between the two. But those... T- I never thought I would see a better throw than that throw to Jennings in the Super Bowl, and, and yesterday he, he did it again. <laughs> um, so, a strange game plan for the Packers uh, in some regards. They hardly even attempted to run the ball at all. Um, they ended up with 17 rushes for 87 yards and a couple of touchdowns. I feel like they didn't run at all in the second half. Um, so, it was basically all through the air, and this was without Jordy Nelson, and... Man, it's it's hard to overstate how great that offense is is playing right now. It seems like nothing can stop them, even injuries. Well, yeah, it's that's what you said. Is something I remember you said something about injuries during the game, and it's like, well, it doesn't seem to matter. They lose a guy every single play. I mean, you saw Bulaga and Bakhtiari and just everybody. Every play, there's a major guy going out, and somebody else just keeps making plays. And all of a sudden, Jared Cook is you know your best weapon on offense and plays a phenomenal game. Yeah, and. Last week it was Randall Cobb and Devonte Adams is always there. It just it doesn't seem to much matter. I think it's a lot of it has to do obviously with the guy throwing the ball. But it's uh, I mean they've got great depth and they've got guys that can make plays. So you, like you saw even Trevor Davis get in there at the end and didn't really make a play. But you could definitely see him just lighting somebody up for a deep play or something like that too. It's yeah. It's just just a, all they need are receivers that can you know get open a little bit and Rodgers is going to get him the ball. Yeah, uh, Cook, Adams, Cobb, Allison, and Richard Rodgers all had a reception of 25 yards or more, which is crazy. Um, Are you concerned at all about the lack of running game? Will that bite them anymore the rest of this year, or do you think this is how it is, and however you get it done, just do it? Yeah, I think it'll be much the same this weekend. I mean, they did run for 5.1 yards a carry, which is pretty darn good, and Montgomery actually looked good on the 11 carries he got. But really, I mean... This game was a weird one in that although it was you had the lead most of it, it felt like you had to shoot out at the end because you knew they were going to put up points. So even when it was kind of conservative time, you're still throwing, and they really had to. Yeah. And then you feel like Atlanta, you're going to be just trying to match points after points, and it's going to be kind of the same thing. So yeah. I think a running game is nice, and it'll come in handy at times, and I think they could do it if they had to in a clutch situation to run out the clock or whatever. But I, I 
think it's probably going to be pretty close to the same again, maybe 17 carries against Atlanta. Yeah, and I guess just thinking now, they're not going to play outside the rest of the year, so what what difference does it make? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about having to match the Falcons score for score, and one of the reasons they might have to do that is because the Dom Capers defense was back in the second half yesterday, and I had something on Twitter that, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how people reacted to it, but I said, I don't know if there's ever been a fan base that's so uneasy up 18 in the playoffs. I just don't trust this defense at all, and despite the win, they, they pr- proved us right to have that skepticism about their play, and I really don't know what it is, and I caught an interesting quote from Clay Matthews that was used in Bob McGinn's story in JS Online, and maybe I'm reading way too much into it, but he said, Dom keeps it interesting, and then went on to elaborate that we have to make a play, and uh, that's up to us to do that, and uh, I think he was describing how he made a play at the end where it forced the field goal when Dallas was humming down the field to give uh, you know Aaron and company a chance, but that... For some reason, that comment just really stuck with me, and you almost wonder that if Dom Capers just doesn't do that late in games where he says, you know what, we're just going to play our base stuff, and right now you want to win, go out and win it, and there's nothing I can do for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's weird. It's the same thing we've seen in all these playoff games that they usually blow is that all of a sudden in the second half, all these receivers have a ton of cushion and are just running wide open through the secondary, where in the first half it seems like they hold that down a little bit more. And it's, I mean, I, it's un, unthinkable, really. I mean, I know you have some pretty bad secondary guys out there. Burnett was hurt, and Gunter and Randall were getting smoked pretty good. But it's even on those plays where Gunter gets beat on one-on-one on jump balls, that's one thing. But it's just the guys running across the middle uncontested and wide open. It was That's the bizarre thing we always seem to see. Well, even with Gunter, though, I mean, you got to a point where the only way they were going to probably lose the game is if Dak Prescott got hot and Des Bryant caught a bunch of balls. And then they put Gunter out there by himself on Des Bryant. And it's fine, because I think you've got to figure out what this guy's going to do, and you don't have that many bodies, especially once Morgan Burnett went out. But uh, I've said this in the past, that a lot of times it seems like the Packers coaching staff coaches football like it's baseball. You know, you got Ryan Braun sitting in the dugout, available to pinch hit, but you have a guy who just came up from AAA, and he's facing... You know, let Araldis Chapman with the game on the line, and a single wins it, and you don't put Braun in, you're like, let's see what this guy has, and that's fine when you're playing 162 times or a best-of-seven series, but it's pretty terrifying when you're in a one-and-done situation, or even in the regular season when you have 16 games, and as we saw the importance of each one of those, if you had one of those secondary players making one more play in Atlanta, this game Sunday would be at Lambeau Field. Right. So... I, I'm sure there's a much more nuanced reason for this happening, but don't you think at some level they wouldn't you as coaches and maybe they are doing this, but this is a full blown p- feature of the Packers. They have had fourth quarter leads in each of the they didn't lose yesterday, but in 2013, 14, and 15. In the games that eliminated them, they had leads in the fourth quarter and blew them all. And, uh, you know, Seattle and in and, and some regular season games, sizable leads. They almost blew one in Chicago this year against an offense that's absolutely terrible. And then yesterday, uh, when Dak Prescott seemed rattled, all of a sudden he's stringing stuff together. And you would think that, I mean, maybe it's something they can't fix if they haven't already. I don't know. It's, it's baffling. I've never seen a team like it. 
right? Yeah, it's it, it's so strange at how easy they all of a sudden make it look. And I, if it's not for a big Nick Perry play, I mean, we probably lose that game by four points with no time left or you know just a couple of seconds left. We got very lucky that somebody stepped up and made a play because it was just easy pickings down the field for Dak on that drive, just forty yards down the field in like fifteen twenty seconds or something. It was just way too easy. Yeah, absolutely. What did you think of his play, Dak, Dak Prescott? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, there was at times where I was a little bit like, uh, you know, that, that's a pretty bad miss. But overall, I think that, you know, he deserves a starting job going forward. That was, it was pretty good to go toe-to-toe with Rodgers like that. And he hit a lot of big throws and made up for a lot of mistakes um, late in the game there. I, I don't think you can second-guess him um, being the starter at this point or ever have even thought of going to Romo or anything. Do you think he has the potential to be elite, or do you think he's going to just be kind of this level guy? Which he, he's certainly not bad, but I would throw him in that, maybe that Russell Wilson, um, maybe Matt Ryan's higher than that now, but, but kind of that Russell Wilson, even, I dare say, Ben Roethlisberger level, where uh, you need a pretty good team around you for it to matter, because what your skills are is pretty good. You're a clutch guy, and, and you can hang in there, and you're not afraid. Uh, you're a good leader, but... Uh, you know, he's not going to do what Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady do. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he has the tools to do it, especially what Rodgers does. I think he could definitely has the potential to be an elite quarterback, but we just haven't this year seen him have to push the ball down the field much, and that always is kind of what seems to find those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Matt Ryans and Tom Brady's and Rodgers, that they can hit that deep ball, and he just hasn't had to. It just hasn't been a part of their offense. That's why Cole Beasley was their leading receiver, <laughs> yeah. because it's just so much crossing stuff. But he did hit... He hit some plays down the field. He beat us for some big plays, and I think um, definitely. I mean, you got to be pretty good if you're them. I don't. I definitely don't think he's a fraud. Which there was even no. a part of me after having seen him sometimes this year, still kind of wondering that. And after yesterday, I don't feel that that's that that's a possibility at all, really anymore. Yeah, I would go along with that. I would say he's definitely not a fraud. I, I think he's a good player. Um, as far as uh, him hitting deep balls down the field, I'm not convinced because everybody does that against the Packers, and <laughs> it's you know. Colin Kaepernick's a very, very rich man because of playing the Packers twice. So it's it, will, it remains to be seen. I want to see him do it against somebody else before I say that that's part of his repertoire. Uh, and Ezekiel Elliott is, is crazy. He's going to be really good. He might burn out in three or four years with that running style, but uh, he, he was as advertised too. He took Mike Daniels, who had shed his blocker and basically squared him up, and he put his shoulder into him and carried him for about four yards, and uh, that was pretty eye-opening. And he had that spin move that everybody's talking about. Yeah, he's great. And I, people have been talking about that offensive line all year, and if you've watched the Cowboys, you know that they're really good, but you also know that Zeke is doing things that like nobody else is doing in the league right now since probably Adrian Peterson's prime. It's just that mm-hmm. that combo of just speed and strength and moves on top of it, too, is just so rare. And I think, in the, you know, in the next... Probably by next year, you're already saying he's the best running back in the NFL. People aren't already saying that. Yeah, well, he led the NFL in rushing this year, and you know, I don't remember the last rookie to do that. I know Edger and James did it, but I don't know if anybody's done that in the meantime. But yeah, uh, definitely as advertised. So I think the future is probably bright for Dallas. Um, Although, like we talked about earlier with the David Carr situation, I'm sorry, the Derek Carr situation, you don't win 13 that often Uh, unless you're Tom Brady or even Peyton Manning, it's hard to win 13 games. Brett Favre's one of the greatest players in the history of the NFL. He won 13 games three times, uh, so you don't do it that much. And uh, Troy Aikman, as good as those Cowboys teams were, they won 13 games once in that entire stretch. And uh, you, you don't need to win 13 to win a Super Bowl, uh, but 
I mean, look at Carolina is a great example, a team that looked like they were just going to be there forever, and then all of a sudden they just fall off with the exact same talent. Not expecting that necessarily that to happen to the Cowboys, but also if you look at their recent history, a 13-win season is an outlier. They're they're normally like an 8-win team. Right, and they have the makings of a team that you could definitely see to take a drop-off next year. I mean, you, you'll probably see those young guys improve, but that defense, and everybody knew it going into this game, was a problem, and they've been hidden all year long. So next year, you could definitely see them be one of those teams that all of a sudden their defense stinks, and their offense doesn't matter as much because they can't hold the opposing team to keep any points off the board. So, yeah, um, I mean, it's just things can happen. Like you said, you're not going to win 13 games very often. I, could, I would put money on the fact that they don't next year just because it's so irregular to do that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's got to hurt for Cowboys fans today, but I would still feel pretty good. You know, you got those two guys for at least the next, you know, four or five years. Well, here's something that I saw on Twitter debated, and I want to ask you. Um, so during the game, because Fox just likes to stir the pot, and I understand it's trying to be an entertainment show, so you can't just call the game, because if it just appealed to football fans, what good would that be? But they started drumming the, uh, drum, I guess, for, for uh, Tony Romo pretty early on when it was 21-3. to And my thought was... I would rather lose with Dak Prescott than put in Tony Romo if you're planning on Dak being your guy because you can't pull him out of the game when he's not injured uh, in order to give Tony a try because that could really undermine his leadership and all of those things. But do you think Dallas could have won yesterday if they had put Romo in? Would it have changed anything? It's so hard to say because we've seen one drive from him all year long, and that was a pretty good drive but I you know Dak played so well and yeah he made a a huge mistake to Micah Hyde and missed a couple of throws but who's to say that Romo's not going to do that and it's not like Romo's known for being super clutch in playoff games and and stuff either so (laughs) yeah I I would say it doesn't make a difference I think your best chance was with Dak and in fact I think they probably end up being closer because they kept Dak in yeah I think that's somewhat debatable because Dak played pretty well in the second half You, you feel like some of those early guys that were open in the first half that Dak was just plain missing that Romo might have made, and so maybe the momentum stays a little bit closer. But here's the flip side. I don't think they go 13-3 and if Tony Romo plays 16 games. Just he He's too erratic. They played so many close... Man, maybe they wouldn't have played so many close games, but I think Romo's great and everybody likes him, but for some reason... That 2012 or 2014 season is what everybody remembers him by nowadays, and that he's, oh man, Tony Romo, he's one of the elite guys, and I really like Romo, I think he's great to watch, but Tony Romo's, most of his career has been going 9-7 or 8-8 eight and eight and losing one or two games with just idiotic late game decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of Eli-like, sort of, and it's just like, you, you know, he's he's really good and can do everything, but he'll just make those mistakes that kill you. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up that Micah Hyde pick, because that was... Such a great play. I mean, it's, it's weird that yeah. you don't see that more. I, that's what I thought when I saw that. It's like, yeah, it was super obvious what they were going to do, but nobody ever has the guts to jump that because if you miss it, he's he's gone. Yeah, and you just never see somebody jump that. What just a, a beautiful play. Dak didn't notice it and just he was almost he almost jumped it too well. It was like behind him, and he had to kind of catch it behind him because he had already run past the ball. Well, and I think Dak at the last second saw what was happening, and that's why the ball was basically at his knees because I think he was too far through his delivery, and so he just tried to kind of deadweight the ball so that it wouldn't be like... Because if I think he throws a regular bubble screen and it hits Micah chest high, he probably scores. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, that was such a great play. And I wanted to bring this up too when we were talking about the potential for this team to have collapses. And that you had really the early momentum changer was the Christian Michael drop in uh, on the kickoff, and then he wasn't sure if he was in bounds or not, or I mean in the end zone or not, and so he runs it out to the five and gets stuffed. But then you had Kendrell Bryce come in, who played pretty well, but then dropped like a sure interception down the middle of the field. And those were two other plays where I was getting really nervous because I think that's just something that we're always going to have to live with. And it might be part of the reason these types of comebacks happen because, first of all, the Packers are always playing on the road in the playoffs, it seems. And you are always, based upon the way you structure your team, and I think they structure their team correctly, you're always going to have young guys or cast-offs or guys who haven't been on your team very long. And we've seen it in every single one of these. Micah Hyde made a great play yesterday in 2013 when he was the young rookie who didn't have any playoff experience. We could have beaten the 49ers in regulation, but he dropped an interception. And in 2014, of course, you had HaHa Clinton Dix, who got turned around 50 times as a rookie on a two-point conversion, and Brandon Bustick, who is a reserve young guy who couldn't catch a uh, uh, couldn't catch an onside kick. And then, of course, in the Arizona game, you had some of those type situations. And uh, of course, you did have Jeff Janis make the play of his life too. So sometimes it does benefit you, but. You know, those are kind of momentum shifters and potential momentum killers to the other team that they get a chance to escape from. And uh, you just wonder if part of the reason that this team collapses is you, you have a lot of young players who have a chance to steal the game and are given new life to their opponents because they just aren't experienced enough or aren't quite good enough to make those plays count. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, a lot of the, the back-breaking plays that you've seen in those games have been from guys like that. That's, I mean, all yeah. you can think about is Clinton Dix and that, that Seahawks game. It's just, yeah. just like... It's just every time getting spun around or getting out dumped or just playing yeah. ball port in those plays. Yeah, it's not Jordy Nelson and, uh, well, I guess one of the stupidest plays of the 2014, though, was uh, Julius Peppers telling Morgan Burnett to slide, and so there's no excuse to that. So maybe there isn't a ton with my theory, but it sort of sounds right, doesn't it? Yeah, I'd buy it. Okay, well, it's at least arguable. Um, so, yeah, I guess I, I don't really have... Uh, great ideas where to take this. It was just such a, there's so much to this game. That game last night between the Steelers and Chiefs was close the whole time and it had some bad weather. I went to my NFL game pass to see if they had the Packer Cowboy game up and to their immense credit, they had the entire game up about an hour after. And so I went down to my bar room and flipped it up on the Roku and just rewatched all of the big moments over and over because I just couldn't get enough of it. It was just such an incredible game and I think I'm still in disbelief that our Packers, who I just associate with collapses in playoff games, had the collapse in the playoff game and stopped it, which is another weird thing about this team that just makes no sense and is counterintuitive to everything we've ever seen from this Packer team. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I immediately after the game was done, too, I went back and rewound it and watched all of the, the big plays from the last two minutes, too, just because while they were happening, I just... I felt like you couldn't appreciate it. I was just so anxious and like so lightheaded that I felt like I was going to pass out. So I went back and watched them all just to make sure it was real and that it actually happened. And it's just there's got there's definitely something for us that feels good that about this maybe being a potentially really special year. And that, like you said, you did allow that you did collapse, you did allow the comeback, and you fought it off. It almost seems like you kind of ended whatever this curse or weird demon was that you've had for the last few years and that hopefully maybe this is what you need to propel yourself yeah absolutely i mean it's you almost wonder if 
as silly as it sounds, it helps them more than had they beaten Dallas 28 to 10, like it looks like they might, or 34 to 13, because I think there's something to be said for these guys now believing that they're a team of destiny, and they've faced as much adversity as you could have on the road. Again, granted, it's one of the more friendly road environments, um, although unless you get tornado warnings when you try to leave the building, that's not a great uh, home yeah. field advantage. But um, to be playing a 13-3 and team in their building and be able to overcome that type of game, uh, you got to wonder if that propels them further than had they just kicked the crap out of the best team in the NFC. Oh, I think for sure it does because, I, I mean – you can't tell me that these guys weren't at least thinking about that at the end of the game um, yesterday. And now that's out of the way. You've got that done. You know you can do it now. That, even if you're up big against Atlanta, I don't think that enters your mind then because it's not something you have to worry about anymore because you just overcame that last week. So it's not some weird curse you have to think about. It's not <laughs> something that's going to happen. You know, you can overcome it and do it. And it's at least one monkey off their back. So I think I agree that I, I like the, the way they got that done. And I think that's big for this team. Yeah, definitely. So let's go to next week. Um, the Atlanta Falcons are not going to care about that, and even though the Packers were able to stop the tidal wave yesterday, they still succumbed to the tidal wave several times in the past, and the Atlanta Falcons, I'm sure, saw all of those games, and so did their fans, and it's the last game in the history of the Georgia Dome, and they have some great history there. You know, they, they've had so many 6-10 and 10 teams, and, <laughs> you know, a lot of, lot of stuff that people are going to be sad to see go away, but... Um, I said this to you yesterday, and I stand by it today, that I think Atlanta is the Packers' biggest challenge remaining, and that includes the Patriots. Yeah, and I, I think I would agree with that. And I think, weirdly, I think I like the Patriots maybe as my, my the one I'd want to face the most just because they're kind of built a little bit like Dallas, and they remind me a little bit of that. And we both wanted to see Dallas before Atlanta in the wild card round. Yep. Um, after that win, and we got what we wanted, and it turned out to pay off because you're able to at least exploit some of their weaknesses that we're strong at, whereas Atlanta's biggest strength is throwing to their running backs, throwing down the field to Julio Jones and their other speedy receivers, and we can't stop that at all. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm pretty terrified. But, yeah, I think you know <laughs> Pittsburgh poses a pretty good threat, too, because somebody has to cover Antonio Brown, and I don't think that's possible for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I hate this matchup with Atlanta. I think there's better teams out there. And I think that they're probably the maybe out of the four, maybe the team I would normally pick last to win the Super Bowl. But I just think it's an awful matchup. Yeah, I would agree with just about everything you said there. I I don't think that the reason I fear Atlanta the most is because of the best team remaining. New England is clearly the best team remaining. But the two times Dom's defense has played the Patriots, they've played very well, and they seem to to match up really well against the way the Patriots play offense. I mean, they almost beat them with Matt Flynn at quarterback. It took a sixty-yard offensive line return on a kickoff to kind of change the momentum of that game, and so. Absolutely, they could lose to the Patriots, but I I like their chances. Whereas, uh, especially on a neutral site, but going down to the Georgia Dome to play that team and for the offensive role the Packers been on, I think in the last it's either eight or ten games the Falcons have been averaging thirty six points a game. I mean that's really scary, and they have so many weapons they can run the ball. Uh, thankfully, their defense stinks. They're twenty fifth in defense, twenty seventh in points allowed. Their passing defense is atrocious. So the Packers will be in this game. They'll have a chance. But if that offense is on, I don't know if you'll be able to catch them. 
Yeah, you might even say whoever has the ball last is going to win. <laughs> it's like a corny cliche. But it, as much as I hate to say that, it's probably very much true, just like the Cowboys game. is. Just, you just feel like both these teams are going to score every single possession. Yeah. So it's just if you're, if you're the team lucky enough to get the ball with 30 seconds left and two timeouts, it's, it's game over, basically. I mean, Matt Ryan is so good at that kind of possession, and we've seen Aaron Rodgers be really good at it lately, too. Yeah. That, Ever gets that ball with less than a minute left is just gonna, is going to win the game for sure. Yeah, it's going to be a track meet. I mean, that's 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 what I think is to steal another stupidly used word that I I hate when they talk about shootouts. But yeah, I agree. That's it's hard to envision it looking any different than it did back in October. Yeah, and maybe the saving grace is Julio Jones was was hurt then, and he's apparently a little banged up from that Seahawks game now. Where if if he's out or hurt, you feel a lot better, but they still have a lot of offense that we have to slow down. I'm still not sure we can do it. Yeah, um, but we'll we'll make our picks later in uh, the show. Um, let's get to some Facebook comments. So I'm going to try to paraphrase some of this because it's awesome. We had a lot of uh, people interacting with the page today. I think everybody's in Packer mood. But uh, if I read all of this, it would make for a pretty not interesting uh, segment of the podcast because there's just a lot, a lot of stuff here. Um, so I guess I would just encourage everybody to go and uh, talk or read what people have written because there's some really good, insightful stuff on here. It's just uh, reading it uh, verbatim on a podcast is probably not the most interesting listening experience. Okay, so uh, one thing that I did want to touch upon is we had a, kind of a spirited uh, um, opinion from Corey Ben on a question that Daniel Johnson had asked for us, and that is coaches calling timeout on field goals to make the kicker kick again, the iced kicker that was... Probably it happened several times, but was most popular popularized by Mike Shanahan in that uh, 2008 game against, I think, the Chargers. Everybody does it now. I think the kickers are even expecting it to happen. Uh, Mason had it happen to him on both of his game winners this year. What are your thoughts on that practice? I mean, I think everybody thinks it's kind of stupid, but what do you really do about it? Because what if a defense coordinator or the special teams coach notices they've, they've got an extra guy out there or something right at the end of the game? You can't not let them call a timeout. So yeah. I like the rule that's in place that they can only call one, but I I don't know what you could do about it. I hate it. It's dumb, obviously. You'd like it to just be a walk-off and not have to wait for two minutes for them to kick a field goal, but it, I don't know what you do about it. Yeah, I don't like it at all. Um, but, yeah, same thing. If I'm a coach, I'm doing it every time. Why the heck not? Um, although, you know, it could come back to bite you. And I agree with this. Uh, Corey Ben says, seeing a kicker miss the kick that didn't end up counting and then nailing the second kick after the timeout is one of my favorite things in yeah. sports. <laughs> I agree with that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, screw any coach that does that garbage. I think I, I agree with that the most. Um, yeah, that would be the part of me as a coach that maybe wouldn't make me do that just because that's the possibility of that happening. You need cost yourself a game by doing it where it just... I don't, we we see a lot the other way where they miss the second one too, but just the possibility that you lose the game for your team by doing that has got away heavily on your mind. And now that I, oh no, I was going to say Mike Shanahan was kind of the guy when everybody started doing it, but I remember Bill Cowher doing it to Joe Nedney in the 2002 playoffs, but I think Nedney hit it. And then he missed the second one, but then one of the Steelers players, because they all play so intelligently in the playoffs, no matter who their coach is, uh, knocked him over, and then he got a chance to, to do it again. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Ty Collins also contributed. KZ Countdowns Ty Collins from uh, KZ Radio 104.3 in uh, 
Appleton, the Fox Cities, and Green Bay. Um, a friend of mine who uh, was responsible for the Green and Gold Forever preview on KZ Radio the last couple of seasons. So it's nice to see Ty uh, making an appearance on the Facebook page. He says the over-under on this game is 61 points, which is the highest in the history of the NFL. And the odds are it'll probably go up as we go throughout the week. And I think that might be, what, what did they combine for, 64 points back in October? And so I think that's a pretty safe bet. Yeah, it's, it seems like these games where you expect a shootout, a lot of times they'll start out slow and be like 10-7 at halftime, and you're just like, well, what the heck, and then they'll kind of explode in the second half. I'll, I definitely would take the over on this, but it, you know, weird things happen in games like this sometimes. Yeah, so it actually was uh, 65 points. It was 24-19 Packers at the half, and then Atlanta scored just 14 in the second half, and the Packers just 8. So, yeah, interesting stuff there. Um the other game, I think the game it beat out was something ridiculous, like the Lions and Saints in the 2011 playoffs, I think, was the other record holder. Makes sense. Yeah, Stafford had like 41 touchdowns that year, so I guess that makes sense. Um, and then we got Olmade, who is a first-time or a second-time commenter on the show, and I'm glad we got it in this week, so he talked last time. If I said your name wrong, I apologize. Um, he said this is a huge win and a big mo- momentum boost uh, for the pack, and... Uh, Talks about Aaron, how he did great. He he added, which I thought was funny, that I heard Jerry Jones make a deal with God and said, if you give me this championship, I'll never ask for another one before Super Bowl 30. And that's why uh, the Cowboys can't seem to do anything in the playoffs anymore. So you think that's uh, possible? It's got to be it. Yeah, I mean, you can't just say those things and get away with it. Well, I think it's why Russell Wilson's no good in the playoffs anymore because he went all cocky about it and God's like, wait a minute. And then and then now he can't win in the playoffs and made him throw an interception on the one-yard line. So it's, yeah, big mistake. You just, just don't start making contracts like that. It's gonna end up biting you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He works in mysterious ways, is what I've been told. Uh, so and then uh, Corey Ben's got some uh, really good comments here. Um, trying to just read these really quickly. Um, okay, here's an interesting one we can debate. So with this road win in the divisional round against the 13 and three Cowboys team. Aaron Rodgers has officially eclipsed Brett Favre in the annals of Packers quarterbacks and now trails only Bart Starr and not by much. Favre is still the more significant player in Packers history and will be until Aaron wins at least a second ring, but there can no longer be any doubt as to who was the greater player. The team's current eight-game win streak with all the adversity that came immediately before it, coupled with how Rodgers has carried the team during that stretch, might be the most impressive thing that he's ever done. Um, and if he somehow manages to get two more wins out of this outfit and leave Houston with what would be one of the most improbable championships championships in sports history forget about it he's the greatest of all time for any team how do you feel about that well I completely agree with the um at this point believing that he's the better player than Favre but also agreeing with the fact that he's not in you know in terms of legacy and what he meant to the franchise isn't quite there yet either I, I do think that's completely right um so the last part was if he wins a championship he's he's first yeah uh, if he wins the Super Bowl this year that he's the greatest quarterback ever is how I'm interpreting it so, I mean, that's the age-old question, obviously, that everybody always debates, and I, I don't I don't think you can put him ahead of Brady or Montana as the greatest quarterback of all time, but would I say that his um, he's the most talented and, and maybe the best physically quarterback I've ever seen? I'd probably say yes. I might actually already say that, though, too. Yeah. So I, I don't think you can put him ahead of guys that have won, you know, four Super Bowls plus or whatever I with with a second, if that's what you're taking into consideration there, but I, th- I already think he's probably the 
most talented guy I've ever seen. Yeah, I think he's definitely the most talented, and I agree with what you said and what Corey said about him. Um, he's better than Favre, and I was thinking that today, and it was just amazing. Like, we were terrified to let this guy go, and no one would have thought that his replacement would have been better than him. Like, who? that's ridiculous. Um, even when you had Steve Young after Joe Montana, Steve Young was a phenomenal player too, but I don't think anybody thought he was better than Montana. And, yeah, I think he's... It's nuts. I can't believe that. That it's... And he's still got a lot of career left ahead of him, hopefully. As far as if he wins the championship this year, if, is he the greatest of all time? Um, that's such a hard argument, but I, I would... I don't know if I could necessarily disagree um, the, all that strongly. Yeah, with Montana and Brady, but then you think of Montana, it's outside of one year, he never had a defense that was worse than third in the league. And Tom Brady has been spectacular, but then you have to, I was talking to fan of the show, Brian Dinsey, about this uh, the other day, and that you, you think about Tom Brady and you think about his four championships. Well, you know, one of them he played iffy and the, the uh, defense really played well against the Eagles. He definitely earned it against Carolina because he played really well. But then that first championship, he's playing against the best offense, in my opinion, in the history of the NFL, that three-year stretch of the Rams. And he goes onto the field, tied at 17 with that last drive with 92 passing yards. If Aaron Rodgers would have had 92 passing, if Aaron Rodgers has 92 passing yards against Atlanta on Sunday, it's not going to be 17-17 with the Packers having the ball and a chance to win. I can guarantee you that. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that stuff gets lost. Tom Brady could have played the exact same game as he did in Super Bowl 49, where he won the MVP award, and have lost if Russell Wilson wouldn't have made the worst throw in modern NFL history. And, right. And so my opinion is I, I could definitely agree with that, and I think this championship might be worth like two of the Montana ones and two of the Brady ones if he's able to do it, especially if he beats Brady. But I guess I'm coming around to the opinion, we had that quarterback episode, but I'm coming around to the opinion that I think probably Brady and Peyton and Johnny Unitas, Roger Staubach, Joe Montana, um, maybe throw Steve Young in there, they're all about the same, and the number of championships that they've won comes down to luck. Yeah, but I guess if they're all about the same, then, I mean, that's probably a pretty darn good tiebreaker, though, too. I agree. It's silly that you count Brady as, you know, it's well, it's all on him that he won those championships. He had a lot to do with them, but then, like you said at the end, just one fluke play when he wasn't even on the field, it just changes that whole, <laughs> yeah. his whole legacy. It is kind of strange how you do that, but yeah. it's, it's, it's how it works, and I guess it's how it happens. Championships are the most important thing in, in sports, so that's why that happens, I guess. Yeah, and, and I think that's a decent tiebreaker, but then also it, it comes to the age-old argument, well, how much do you, how much credit does Montana get for his defense in three of his Super Bowl championships completely shutting down the league MVP on the other side and only requiring him to get about 20 points to win? That's that's why the best quarterback of all time argument is such a hard one for me because there's never been that perfect guy or that guy like where you know if, if Aaron Rodgers were to win two or three more championships, I think it's clearly him because what we've seen from him and what he's done to carry teams puts him there. Whereas like Montana and Brady, you can say like, well, the defense did this much or they had so much talent around him that great coaches. You take that away from him, you know, just all these other guys like. Peyton failed in the playoffs a million times, and that's his detractor. And just all these guys have this, and nobody's really been that eye test guy like a Marino or a Rodgers or a Steve Young, where they look, you could tell they're elite and just some of the best quarterbacks of all time. Yeah, but haven't put championships together or what have you. So I think that if you know if Rodgers can do that over the next five years or whatever and get a couple more, he definitely could be considered that. So if if the Packers win the Super Bowl this year, would it maybe be? 
the first true case of a quarterback carrying his team to a Super Bowl title? Um, yeah, I, maybe. I, it's weird, but I mean, Joe Flacco kind of did. Yeah, y- yeah. <laughs> but but I, I mean, nobody will will ever think of him in yeah. that light. But he sort of did. And two Hall but, of Famers on defense, though. I, but the Packers, I mean, in defense. I gave up what, like thirty points in the Super Bowl or something like that, too. I mean, he he literally carried, carried that team. Their defense wasn't even that great at that point. No, um, no, I'll I'll give you that. Their defense wasn't that good that year. But they also held Tom Brady. And the, what I think the fourth or fifth highest scoring offense in the history of the NFL to 13 points in Foxborough. Yeah, even a team where you would maybe expect that, like the the Saints championship, where Breeze obviously did most of the work, but their defense came up with two of the biggest plays in postseason history on defense to <laughs> yeah. seal games away and to win the game. So it's you can't even put those all on him either. Yeah, so that's an interesting argument. So if anybody has any uh, uh, opinions on that, uh, definitely could uh, uh, talk about that on the Facebook page. I'm talking a lot of like Jeff Goldblum today. I've noticed, like, but <laughs> whatever. Um, let's see. You know what's better than uh, reading aloud stuff on on the podcast? Me silently reading stuff on the podcast. That, that, that's even Just put better. the microphone next to some flipping pages. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here I'm going through it. Um, yeah, here's a good thing that uh, so Steelers Packers was Corey Ben's preseason pick, um, but. Out of that crummy playoffs that we had in front of us and has proven us all correct when we said, wow, this looks like a pretty lousy playoff field and these games have been atrocious. If you could have handpicked your conference championship games for entertainment value, this is probably what you would have picked. Even as, I mean, unless you were a really hardcore fan of one of the other teams, if you were a general observer, this probably would have been the, the final four you would have picked. Oh, for sure. I, I completely agree with that. I mean, Pittsburgh, New England, why would you want to see anything else in the AFC but, but that one most likely? And then you've got a couple teams to choose from in the NFC. I mean, if you were picking at the beginning of the year, you probably wouldn't have chosen Atlanta. But with right now, with these two quarterbacks and these offenses, this is going to be a phenomenal game. Yeah, absolutely. I think this the over-under for uh, – uh, I almost said Cowboys-Steelers. Steelers-Patriots could be as high in, in – towards the end of the week that the Packers-Falcons is, because those teams are going to score a lot of points, too. Although the Patriots were number one in points given up, but I still don't necessarily think that much of that defense for some reason. Yeah, well, I, I don't have the numbers on front of, in front of me either, so just guessing, but I would imagine there's a lot of time of possession um, leading by their offense, too, during the year, which always helps as well. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. Okay, so um, also we have a, a comment from former guest host Caleb Pike, and he said that win was incredible. Mason Pike got a kick out of uh, hollering, covering his fist, and pumping his fist with his dad. So that's awesome. Um, uh, my gut reaction going into this week was that uh, Dallas was the best team in the NFC. That being said, I'll be surprised if we can pull it off in Atlanta. The Packers will need at least the offensive output they had against the Cowboys in the first half if they're going to hold off the Falcons. I don't think this defense is going to do them any favors. I'm super proud of how Rodgers has carried this team through eight games, and I'm glad they were able to make it this far. And that's a great point that we should maybe touch upon, is echoing what you said before the Seattle game in 2014, that it had been a tremendous ride, and if it ends on Sunday, that you'd be okay with it, and knowing the way the Packers play games, I'm sure it'll be some heartbreaking way that they would lose if they do to Atlanta. But I... I would have bet you $100, more than that, that this was not going to be possible when Kirk Cousins was throwing bombs at will on a terrible defense to drop the Packers to 4-7 and seven the week before Thanksgiving. And now we're one of the last four teams left. I, I, 
This is the most amazing season that we've seen in our five years of this podcast by far, and we've seen some really good ones. But uh, this might be the most interesting and amazing season I've seen, not only from the Packers, but from almost any team uh, that I've seen in my time watching football. And that's almost a quarter century. Yeah, I mean, just the most unfathomable turnaround. And then for Aaron Rodgers to... Um, to do what he's done, I just I can't even imagine it still that this is happening. And we had kind of all written this team off that this wasn't possible, and that this there was absolutely no way. Like you said, I I would have bet a lot more than a hundred dollars that this team wouldn't be in the NFC Championship game. I mean, we could, we could hardly see them winning two more regular season games, much less two postseason games in a row. And just to somehow snap out of it, and all of a sudden this team seems so so cohesive. Um, and they seem so determined to do this, whereas that Tennessee game, they didn't even seem like they wanted to get on the field that day. So it's just, mm-hmm. um, it's it's unthinkable. It's amazing. It gives me goosebumps just thinking about what they've <laughs> done the last two weeks. And you got to love these guys for, for all the effort they're putting out there. And they're banged up. There's hardly anybody left to play, but they're still doing it and still winning. And they've got as good a chance as any. So mm-hmm. um, I, I agree. The season's already a win unless they somehow blow it. But at least if you blow it in this case, it's not to Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. It's... <laughs> To a team I could at least handle watching win a Super Bowl. So, yeah, um, so yeah, go back. But if they lose, I, I hope I can still look at this as a, a great season. Yeah, I, I think it will hurt for a while, but uh, it'll, you'll come around, and we all will. Um, you wonder, the thing that makes me feel a little bit better, we, we talked about them probably believing they're a team of destiny, but also we always think of this as the Rodgers and McCarthy era and i would make the argument i don't we don't have time today but that if they go on to win the super bowl that mccarthy has a pretty strong case for the hall of fame someday um eight straight playoff wins two incredible runs to playoffs just seeming a his finger on the pulse of his team more than anybody I've ever seen, and able to just say a sentence that makes the whole season turn around. And, you know, he had the, we're nobody's underdog this year. He's like, when you put your ass against the wall, you find out what you're made of. And I think we got what it takes, uh, you know, paraphrasing there. But, um, we think of it as the Rogers and McCarthy era and you have Rogers, you have McCarthy, you have Crosby, you have Jordy Nelson, you have Clay Matthews, um, maybe Morgan Burnett, even though he was hurt during the other Super Bowl year, um, a few guys on the offensive line, and that's it. The rest of this team, when they get to the NFC Championship game, they, they're they not thinking about, wow, it would be nice to get another championship. They're thinking about, Seattle stole my one opportunity to ever be a champion, and we're going to take it out on the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, it's kind of funny that you tie the whole franchise into those two guys, and you're like, well, at least we already have one, but there was hardly anybody left from that team that has one. So you're right. you got a lot of hungry guys that want their first yeah. um, and that really, really deserve it too. So um, it would be nice. And, and as far as McCarthy goes, I think anybody with two Super Bowls, especially when they're spread a- across like six years like that, um, kind of shows you have the longevity to do it. Who I think he's got a great case if he can do it. And he doesn't have a bunch of non-playoff t- years stuck in the middle like guys like yeah. Tom Coughlin and Tom Flores have. <laughs> Um, or even Mike Shanahan, you know, he he doesn't have a terrible tenure with the Redskins or, you know, Shanahan, his, his team really fell apart for a while once John Elway left. So uh, he doesn't necessarily have that yet. So right. um, it'll be interesting. Hopefully we get a chance to make these arguments for real in the offseason. Real quickly, let's wrap around to the other games. Uh, Matt and I uh, were able to, to hang out on Saturday and watch two non-Packer games together for maybe the first time since the early 2000s. Um, maybe not that long ago, but it, it was fun, uh, although the games the NFL gave us were not so fun. Um, Atlanta whooped up on the Seattle Seahawks, and obviously we know how great they are, but uh, do you think Seattle's pretty much done as a serious contender? 
No, I wouldn't say so. I think you get Earl Thomas back next year. I don't know what their contract situations are like for all their guys, but I believe most of that defense is still going to be intact, so I am not ruling them out by any means. They feel kind of like San Francisco did in the late 2000s or or I'm sorry late 2000s in the in the uh, late 90s where you feel like they're going to be there every year but to me I just don't really I think they're going to be in the mix every year so in that respect they have a chance but I just don't believe they're really they're really in the mix like they're Minnesota in 19 in the you know the 90s or maybe Dallas in the late 90s where you're like yeah this team is going to win their division are they going to win the Super Bowl well if they did it would kind of surprise me but, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I'm not ready to count them out yet in that regard, just because I think there's so few teams in the NFC that you could put at that pedestal that they're going to be contending every year. You probably don't even feel comfortable putting the Packers there for years to come either. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I don't know. Their defense is still good, and they're going to be around for a while. So I, I don't know. I think that's a team that could definitely win another Super Bowl or two. I guess that's fair. I don't expect the Falcons to necessarily be back next year. They could win the Super Bowl, and it wouldn't surprise me if they went 5-11 and next year. So, right. Um, that's a fair point, so... Um, then we had the Patriots taking on the Houston Texans and Brock Osweiler is really, really, really bad. And I think that's being nice. They, th- meaning the Texans would have had a better chance to beat the Patriots if they had had Brian Hoyer this year. Yeah, pretty much anybody. They tend to cut Sanchez in the preseason. <laughs> he, he might be the second worst quarterback in the NFL if, if, if Osweiler is the first, but I can't remember watching a quarterback performance like that. And I've been trying to avoid Texans games all year, but I've seen enough to know he was bad, but I've heard about it. And usually when you when you hear even guys on like ESPN going off about how bad a quarterback is, especially like the former players, you know it's bad. Um, but then for to see that, for him to just – Basically, the one reason why they couldn't hang in that game is was embarrassing and kind of hard to watch. <laughs> yeah, do you think they even just eat the salary, or do they... I mean, they probably have to keep him next year, right? Yeah, I mean, you might as well keep him on the roster, but I don't see how you could possibly put him as the starter going into the season. I mean, just maybe pay him to be a backup or something. Yeah, you got to do something, because he can't see the field. He's he's terrible. Um, He can't see the field in the figurative sense that you should leave him on the bench, and in the literal sense, it seems like he can't see the field, because that's yeah, how bad he be, plays. Somebody should maybe look into that. Maybe he just can't. <laughs> he's just blind. <laughs> um, And here's another thing that I wanted to bring up when we were having, um, uh, in light of that discussion we had about the greatest quarterback of all time. Tom Brady wins 34-16 to with a 68.6 passer rating. And only one, I believe, of his uh, AFC Championship game wins did he have a passer rating above eighty or uh, above eighty four. Uh, so yes, Tom Brady's been great, but the reason he's been so great in the playoffs is he's great in the regular season, so he doesn't have to be so great in the playoffs. He has only played seven games on the road in the playoffs and lost four of them. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, by contrast, already has five postseason wins on the road in his career, and so that's not a slam on Brady, but I think. Everybody wants to talk about you know, the Skip Baylesses and the Colin Cowherds of the world talks about how Brady's a transcendent player uh, in the playoffs, and I believe I gave lip service to this on the podcast, and maybe I'll write something about it uh, before the Super Bowl if it ends up being Packers-Patriots, but um, if you go by the difference between a guy's quarterback rating in the playoffs versus the difference in the regular season, um, if you look at all the quarterbacks who have thrown at least 150 passes in the playoffs, Tom Brady, believe it or not, is a below-average player in the playoffs relative to how good he's played in the regular season. And that's not punishing him for being great in the regular season with a high quarterback rating because he sees a further dip than Rodgers does, than 
Peyton Manning does than a lot of guys do. And so he, I don't think he should be punished, but I think people should get off of this, oh my God, he's the best and he, he's unstoppable in the playoffs. Well, part of it is because he's got a great team and he's always at home. And he earned that right, but uh, he, he's not what Aaron Rodgers has done the last two weeks, that's for sure. Right. Um, and then Pittsburgh and Kansas City admittedly didn't watch a whole bunch of it. Um, I felt really bad for the Chiefs because they lose in the divisional round for the, what, the fifth time at home, I believe, in their or fourth time at home since the mid-90s, um, one and done after getting a first-round bye. And I felt bad for them, and especially I thought they got hosed on a holding call um, that kind of cost them the game. But I was relieved to see them go home because that team just bores me to tears. I know, and I guess I, I feel bad for Kansas City, and it's a team I've kind of rooted for, but it's it's kind of satisfying to see a team that's so conservative um, get knocked out. I mean, they, the Steelers kicked six field goals, and they couldn't outscore that, and it's not like Pittsburgh has a phenomenal defense. Yeah, It's just that kind of offense, unless you've got a, a world-class defense, just doesn't get it done, so it's nice to see that go home, and we at least have don't have to watch you know Patriots-Chiefs or something in the AFC Championship game. It should be much better. Yeah, what did you think of that holding call on Eric Fisher? I thought it was a holding call. I mean, he had a handful of jersey, and he went to the ground. I, I thought it was. I, I heard Kelsey argue about it today, but it seemed like a pretty clear hold to me. Okay, uh, and I was kind of iffy on it. I felt like maybe in that situation you don't call it, uh, but I don't know. It's it's. I had a problem with them no calling everything in the Packer game when Devontae Adams is running down the field yeah, with his. That, those were way worse, yeah. but I, I think I still throw the flag on that holding call. That's one thing I want to say about the Packers-Cowboys that I forgot before is I was so almost thankful that it played out the way it did, and Dallas tied it again, and the Packers actually earned their game-winning field goal because the 56-yarder was great, but it would have been worse than the missed catch if the Packers would have won the game on a pass interference penalty, putting them in right. field goal range. So I think that goes away forever because of Aaron Rodgers and Jared Cook's brilliance and Mason Crosby making another great field goal that the Packers are actually getting credit for having won rather than the referees playing a part in it. Okay, so let's pick the AFC, uh, AFC and NFC Championship games really quickly. Um, I know uh, Daniel Johnson and others had some topics they want us to touch upon, but um, uh, we're not going to get to those today. And I'm very sorry, but everybody should go to the Facebook page, even if you don't want to um, interact with it. Uh, like the page, you can see all the different conversations going on. And um, especially, you know, if you're a big longtime football fan, we talk about everything on here, and uh, it's, it's great. So I, I would love to see pe- more people get involved. But uh, definitely check out what a lot of our listeners had to say because, you know, they, they have some phenomenal opinions as well. All right, AFC Championship. Who you got in that one? Um, I I think going into the before these games, if I knew this was the matchup, I might have picked Pittsburgh. But I just think watching that Steelers offense get stymied by Kansas City um, quite a bit, and that they still have to go on the road to New England. I'm not completely sold on New England, really, but I think that they've got the edge here. So I guess um, I think overall, just a little better team. I'll pick the Patriots. Uh, I'm going to agree with you uh, for many of the reasons that you said. It will be interesting, though, for Pittsburgh, and a little bit for me, a win here even with a loss in the Super Bowl kind of will validate the Roethlisberger era a little, like maybe not validate the wrong word, but right now I see him kind of as the sort of similar to the Redskins in the 80s, where the Redskins could only get to the Super Bowl if the 49ers stumbled and couldn't do it, and all of Pittsburgh's Super Bowl runs um, they were able to beat Peyton Manning one time. The three times they went to the Super Bowl, they didn't have to play in New England in any of those three years. And so, to me, 
if they would finally beat the Patriots to get to the Super Bowl, I'd think of them a little bit more highly and not think, well, they won the Super Bowl in two years when the rest of the really good teams were kind of down. I'm not impressed that right. you go to the Super Bowl by beating Nate Plummer and beating Phillip Rivers and those guys. Yeah, exactly. All right, NFC Championship game, the Green Bay Packers at Atlanta for the last game um, before they move to uh, Sphincter Stadium. <laughs> What's it actually called? I don't remember, but that's what it looks like. Okay, I guess maybe I haven't seen the picture yet. But watch the gif. Uh, watch the gif of opening and closing, and tell me what you think it looks like. All right, we'll do. But I'm still, I'm still waffling on this, even up to the second. I don't know who I'm going to pick in this game. And I, um, before this game, if this was the matchup, I thought I was going to pick Atlanta, and I, I think I still should. But at the same point, I mean, we saw. We saw Zeke, and we saw Dak, and we saw Dez basically go off on this defense, and it still wasn't enough. And there's just something I don't trust about this Falcons team. I I don't know. I think I've got to pick the Falcons just because I don't trust our secondary at all. I don't, I don't know what the report is on Morgan Burnett if he's going to play, but if he's out, I think you're in huge trouble. And to see Gunter and Randall have to go out there and try to cover Julio Jones and some of the other guys, I think even if Rodgers plays his best, I, I just – you're going to have to score every possession. It feels like at this point that offense is so dynamic. Um, I'm going to I'm going to pick Atlanta. I think. Yeah, I, the Packers have a great great chance to win this, and they believe they can win it. And they've been able to win many different ways. And this season has gone against everything we thought we knew about the Green Bay Packers. And so, if you're following that story, it lends itself to reason that the Packers are going to win this game. But I don't think. They are going to. I, a lot of teams that looked like the team of destiny through the years that have come up through the wild card round die in this round um, as the team on the road in the conference championship game. And, you know, Atlanta's no slouch, and I hate the matchup. If we had beaten Atlanta last week and then at Dallas this week, I'd be sure that the Packers were going to win. Yeah. But, yeah, I just feel like the dream dies in Atlanta, and I'm sure it'll be an incredibly painful way Um because it always is with, you know, they, they're too well coached of a team and, and too well prepared of a team to not give it their best. So I, I would be surprised if they got blown out. But, um, yeah, I, I guess I just don't believe it. And obviously it goes without saying, but we'll say it anyways, that we very much hope that we're wrong. Um, but I, it just doesn't seem to be in the cards, and that kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, it feels a little bit like 07 to me, too, and it just feels like you have such a magical lead-up, and it just, like, you feel destined, like you deserve it, and that you need to win it, um, or maybe even a little bit like 03 as well, yep. and it's just, you kind of get those, like, heartbreaking endings where, you know, the fairy tale comes crashing down a little bit, and I think, I think, I, I don't know, it, it's going to be amazing if they can somehow turn that around and do it, but it just kind of has that same feel to me. I will add this, maybe uns- perhaps a, a prediction that won't mean anything seven days from now. But if they beat the Falcons, they're going to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I would definitely pick them. I think for sure. I, I would feel pretty confident that if you beat that offense and what I think is the worst matchup for you, that I I like you against anybody else. If you can beat Dallas and beat them and even beat New York, who's not a slouch, I think you got to like their chances against anyone. Plus, the Super Bowls on Fox. That's when all the new Packers Super Bowls nice. come. So. Yep. Um, all right, so maybe uh, the superstition is definitely on the Packers' side, but uh, I think perhaps the strategy and matchups are on the Falcons' side, which uh, I think maybe, in my opinion, is worth a little bit more. 
Okay, well, thanks, everybody, for being all over the Green and Gold Forever page today, liking stuff and, and commenting on stuff. We, we had some other fun posts. I don't know, Matt, if you were able to see the, the post today. There's a Facebook page called um, Selena Scene, I think it's called. Yes, so basically they just add Celine Dion songs, and I'm, I'm assuming mostly my heart will go on uh, to just about anything. And uh, they added it to the field goal yesterday, and it's really entertaining. And I see right now it's been watched almost 11 million times. So that's, Wow, yeah, I did see that. So it's probably been watched... More often than every episode of Undisputed with Skip Bayless has been watched combined. So yes. that's that's good to see. So go on the Facebook page, uh, send us some stuff that we talk about. Hopefully the Packers will uh, win next week for m- many, many reasons, obviously. But if they do, then we might have a chance to have a, a week show where we can talk about a bunch of different crazy stuff. Uh, but even if not, we'll uh, get to them sometime. So uh, go on the Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast. Like it if you have not. Also, uh, follow the Green and Gold Forever Podcast on either the iTunes podcasting app or uh, I prefer the Podbean app. You get the complete archives all the way back to 2012. And uh, it's it's just a, a great way to catch up with us on your mobile device. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Green Gold Forever on Twitter. So thank you, everyone, very much for uh, tuning in today. And we just had one of the greatest games in Packer history and NFL history yesterday. So I guess I'm going to savor this a little bit longer, knowing that uh, this ride may end uh, next week. But I tell you what, they got a lot better chance of winning the NFC than the Dallas Cowboys do at this point. All right. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. And go Pack Go.